looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Thank you, Parker, for that amazing introduction. You get us going each and every week. Welcome, everybody, to episode 30. Three of the Jeff Dwoskin Show. That's right, 33 episodes. You stuck with us, and here we are, and this is our Christmas episode. That's right, it's Christmas week, and we have a very special Christmas guest for you, Scott Schwartz. That's right, Flick from A Christmas Story is here. How cool is that? All right, it's going to be the best Christmas ever. Thanks for spending it with me and the Jeff Dwoskin Show. So glad. Speaking of which, a Christmas gift to me would be to subscribe and like to the podcast on all your favorite stations, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon Music, anywhere you listen, Spotify, Humbly app, anywhere, anywhere. And tell all your friends, say, friends, this year for Christmas, I'm giving you the gift of the Jeff Dwoskin Show. When you see the smile on their faces and their eyes twinkle, you know you made a difference in their lives. Thank you very much. And while you're at it, join our mailing list. Get awesome emails and reminders of shows at jeffitsfunny.com. And there's a link right there to join the mailing list. Sign up all your friends. Don't even ask them. Just do it. Just kidding. But seriously, sign up for the mailing list. Subscribe. Do all those things. Christmas cheer for everyone. So quick recap on last week's episode, where we talked to Steve Rubin, author of the James Bond movie encyclopedia, and we went real deep into James Bond. If you love James Bond or want to love James Bond or think you don't really know James Bond, check out episode 32 because you'll love it. It's a great, great deep dive. And on at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter, to support that episode, I ran a poll. Who was your favorite James Bond? Sean Connery. Roger Moore, Pierce Bronson, whose name, if you listen to the episode, you know I cannot pronounce, or Daniel Craig. Now, on Twitter, you can only choose four options. So those are the four James Bonds that I put up against each other. And the results are... Sean Connery with 41%, then Daniel Craig with 27%, Roger Moore with 17%, and finally, Pierce with 15%. Those are your favorite James Bonds. Check out episode 32. That's the last episode. You won't regret it. It's an amazing deep dive. Loved it. Speaking of love, you know what I love? I love people that buy me coffees. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Jeff Dwoskin Show if you want to make a donation to the show. Put that towards hosting or something like that. Or maybe I'll just be cold and buy a coffee. It is kind of cold out. So you can do that if you want. A lot of people ask. I also got this letter that said, Jeff, congratulations I'm being named one of the top 25 indie podcasts of 2020 by Indie Pods United. Thank you. Thank you for writing it. That meant a lot. I appreciate it. Oh, wait, this is from, it's from my mom. But anyway, it's still, it's still, it's still good. I still, I'm honored uh, to have won it and I'm honored someone took the time to write me. Anyway, you can write me too. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, and another reminder. Every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, Jeff Dwoskin Show live, crossing the streams with my buddies Bob Phillips, Sal D'Amelio, Ron Lippitt, and Howard Rosner. We get together, we have guests, we talk about great TV shows that you should be streaming. Last week, we talked about the platform, Stranger Things, Never Have I Ever, Cobra Kai, and Class Action Park. And we've got a great episode, Christmas-themed this week. Don't miss it. We got guests and everything. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. 
So check us out live on YouTube or Facebook at facebook.com slash Jeff is funny or YouTube, the Jeff DeWaskin show, or you can watch directly from my personal Twitter, Big Macher, and we'll also retweet it at Jeff DeWaskin show. Go to the show notes. All the links are there. But best case, head over to Jeff DeWaskin show on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Notify. We're also on Twitch. I know we're on Twitch. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. How cool is that? So check out the live show. You won't regret it. And now it's time for the social media tip. Okay, it's a two-parter this week. Part one, I already laid up. Polls, Twitter polls. That's right. I mentioned earlier the great one I did for my James Bond follow-up. Who's the greatest James Bond? So Twitter polls are a great way to create content, extend content, or just kind of engage with your audience. And here's the thing. It's so easy to do. Go to Twitter, go to tweet something. And one of the options is a poll. It looks like three bars on top of each other. Click on that, make your poll. And 24 hours later, you got results you can't believe. People love voting. Whether they like or retweet it or not, they will vote. So that's pretty cool. So check that out. That's Twitter polls. And then the other exciting thing that I wanted to mention is Twitter put back their normal retweet function. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You can now retweet like normal again. No more of this jumping. We're trying to save the world from retweets that Twitter was obsessed with for a short period of time before the election. Of course, it did take me like 24 hours to get my thumb back to normal i trained it to jump like the tweets were jumping so i could retweet and then it took me 24 hours to go back to normal when they put it back but anyway here's the great news to sum it up twitter put pack retweets the way they always were can i get an amen and that's the social media tip And now I'm excited to announce our sponsor for the week, Bates Department Store, located conveniently next to Bates Oil in Bates, Louisiana. That's right, Bates Department Store, coming at you online for the first time ever, just in time for the holidays. Voted Best Toy Department 30 years in a row. If you need a one-legged lamp, if you need a Red Rider BB gun, if you need the equipment to start your own manure company... Bates Department Store has what you need. Contact Bates Department Store online today to get all your Bates needs. You don't have to be a master to get everything you need at Bates. Bates Department Store. All right. Well, that's awesome. And we're always excited to have a new sponsor. We really are. So check them out online and hopefully you can find what you need this holiday season. And now I'm excited for you guys all to hear my awesome interview for the week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to have the CEO of Kidco with me, Dickie Cessna, with us today. Mr. Cessna, how's it going in the manure business these days? Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to have Scott Schwartz with me. Scott starred in The Toy, Christmas Story, Kidco, and so many other great stuff. Scott? Thanks for spending some time with me. Much appreciated. Well, you're welcome, Jeff. It's all good, brother. So let's, let's talk Kidco first, because I'm sure you're known most for... You probably talk more about Christmas Story and, mm-hmm. and the toy, but I want to get into that because there's some fascinating stuff to talk about there as well. But I was re-watching Kidco because Kidco, when I told a friend of mine, hey, I'm talking to Scott Schwartz, they're like, Kidco? That's, that was my entire 80s on HBO. I'm like, yes. Wow. And like, uh, so I was re-watching it. It's an interesting premise, the whole movie. Uh, a bunch of kids selling manure and then fighting the the city council for taxes. It was like... It's based on a true story. I mean, this really did happen. Their parents owned a horse farm 
And the kid was a conniver and he was a, you know, money guy, ran bingo and keynote things in school and sold erasers and all this crap. And somehow he figured out if you mix the, the crap from the horses with hay and oats, you come up with fertilizer. And he started servicing the community. Uh, I mean, there was a golf course, and that was really what set off the the chain of what happened because there was a guy in town who was the main guy. He was the guy with the trucks and everything else, and these were just kids, you know, rolling carts with with manure. The guy at the golf course hired him. Uh, we actually just lost him a week ago, Alan Rich. Oh, he no, was, he only played, uh, you know, in Kidco as the golf owner, but he was also he was in Serpico and he was in the Frisco Kid with Harrison Ford, all kinds of movies. But anyway, so they ended up. The kids didn't have permits to sell anything. And there's actually a secondary storyline that, that we shot, but they cut it out of the film. Uh, we were also killing gophers on the golf course, you know, which was really why the guy hired the Cessnas to do it, because they would go and they would pour Drano into the gopher holes and they would kill gophers. Well, they didn't want kids running around doing Drano, so they cut that out. They went to court and basically the kids won but lost. They basically had to give up all the money that they had made to the city for penalties and everything else. But what they got out of it was their tax license, their permits. They got everything they could to make a business. And, uh, I mean, they ended up being millionaires. It's a fascinating story. <laughs> very Reagan, very 80s. When you were a child actor, was The Toy the first big movie that you did? Yeah, The Toy's the first film I did. I started in... Uh, middle of 77 and i you know i did commercials and broadway and off broadway and all those kind of things and the toy is the first film i get the beginning the end of 81 going into 82 we, we, we started shooting so you're a kid and you're going into a movie with two mm -hmm. of the biggest comedy icons i mean even to this day i mean they're like i mean jackie gleason and richard pryor it's just an unbelievable, it must have been an unbelievable experience just to be around that type of royalty. And then Ned yeah. Betty was there and the director was Richard Donner, who did Superman, right? And like, Oh, uh, sure. Keep going. Ray Stark, who produced yeah. The Star is Born with Streisand and Funny Girl. I mean, you know, he had a 40-year, 50-50-year career. And Wilfred Hyde-White, who played the buffler, Ned Beatty plays Mr. Morehouse, you know, from Superman and Deliverance and how many other movies, you know. I mean, it started off... As crazy as it sounds, a big reason I got the movie, I got the toy, was because of the movie Airplane. Okay. It sounds just off the charts insane, but what happened was I, I got all the way to the screen test part of it, you know, and I, they flew me out to California. I lived in New Jersey. I'm supposed to meet Richard Pryor and know this is going to be great and I'm all set and I'm ready to go and the production assistant comes to, to my little trailer there and she's like, listen, unfortunately, Mr. Pryor couldn't make it. He's stuck in Atlanta, divorce number five. So we're going to have another black actor reading with you. Okay. So she closed the door and I was devastated. I was pissed. I'm like, if I don't get this movie, I'm never going to meet Richard Pryor now. So I'm like feeling just, Arr! So the guy comes to the door and he knocks on the door. He's like, hey, my name is Norman and let's take a walk. We'll get a little camaraderie and a little BSing going on. So you'll be a, feel comfortable on the set. I said, okay. We're chit-chatting for a few minutes. I said, you know, you, you look really familiar. He's like, oh, I did this episodic and I did, nope, that's not it. Oh, I did this and I did this. Nope, that's not it. He said, well, I did this comedy. Maybe you saw it. I don't know. Airplane? As soon as he said it, I forgot everything that existed. It was like nothing had happened. Airplane was one of my favorite movies to this day. Forget the fact when I was a kid to this day. So he said that and I went, 
Shit, man, that mama must have messed my old lady. Got to burn the court upside down his head. You know, hey, oh, I can dig it. He don't go lay no big rap on you, man. <laughs> I knew all the jive talk. He was the, the thin jive guy on the aisle seat. Well, this sent me into Mars. I mean, I shot off like a rocket. So, of course, now we, we I go back to my trailer. He goes inside. He tells the producer, that he tells Ray Stark and Richard Donner, I don't know what kind of kid you're looking for, but if you're looking for a kid like Richard, this is your guy. He's crazy. He's nuts. He's fun. Okay. We get on the set, and they had built, like, the staircase from, like, the movie. And we had some dialogue to read, and we come down the stairs. We do it a couple times. Okay, you know, we're going back up again. And Richard Donner goes, okay, Scotty, forget the dialogue. Do it in jive talk. <laughs> so I just start mumbling words together. I'm just doing, like, a jive thing with him. We go back and forth. They're cracking up. They loved it. Okay. Then he's like, go up. You know, tell some jokes. Whatever you want. I don't care. Just tell jokes. Well, I'm 13 years old. What does a 13-year-old know? I only know dirty jokes. So I'm coming down the stairs. I start telling the guy dirty jokes. They're all adult, dirty, humorous jokes. My agent is there, who I've been with since I started. My dad's there. My agent's like, I'm going to kill him. You can't do this stuff. You can't talk like this. You know, whatever. And my father's like, I don't know. It worked. Because it was exactly what they wanted. They wanted a kid that could play off of Richard. Knowing how Richard was, it just went like this. It just came together incredibly. So, of course, you know, that's how I get the movie. So that's really and, cool. Maybe it was a blessing that Richard wasn't there. The divorce number five totally, totally works in your favor. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a completely, I mean, I'm sure I would have had fun with Richard anyway, but it was just different because of what I did and where I went. And it was just my instincts and just me being me. I mean, 95, 98% of the film, I got to be up here and a couple percent, I got to be down here and sad. But they right. wanted this guy. I knew who Gleason was. I was a huge Smokey and the Bandit junkie. I know every line, every mannerism he does. I knew it back when I was a kid. I love the Hustler. I love the Honeymooners. So I know who he is. Prior, I had seen Stir Crazy. I had seen, I even got to see Live on the Sunset Strip right before we started shooting. You know, my father never cared about language. He's like, I don't care about that. So they say words. Who cares? You know, nobody's killing anybody. Okay. So I knew who they were. You get that first feeling about people they had brought me out for wardrobe fitting in los angeles before right before we went to louisiana to shoot the film and i'm in richard donner's office playing a pinball machine and richard Pryor walked in and and dick donner goes uh scotty you got to stop for a second there's somebody here wants to say hi and i turned to my right and there's richard Pryor standing in front of me and i said hello mr Pryor. it's an absolute pleasure he goes no 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 you can stop that now. You can call me Richard, Rick, Dick. I don't care what you call me. Just don't ever call me Mr. Pryor. That was my father. <laughs> it was a feeling. So we had camaraderie right away. Gleason, he was down in Louisiana. We had the meet and greet kind of a thing. So it's the producers, the director, you know, everybody around a big table, you know, my dad, whatever, and a few of the other cast members and not even hello, not even hello. Dick Donner knew that I had done all the smoking and the bandit stuff for him and whatever. And he's like, uh, Scotty, go over to Mr. Gleason and do that uh, thing that you do to sheriff thing. I'm four foot five and a half. I weigh 52 pounds. So I'm standing next to Jackie Gleason. He's still taller than I am. You know, him sitting down, you know. And I walked over and I just, I looked at him. I didn't say hello. I said, there's no way, no way that you could come from my loins. As soon as we get home, the first thing I'm going to do is punch your mama in the mouth. Well, he started laughing and he goes, is that all you know? I said, no. He said, well, keep going. So now I'm doing more of Gleason shtick to Gleason 
And he hated working with kids and animals. Hated it. They told me he hated it. But the minute that I did that, impersonation is the highest form of flattery. He knew I knew who he was and I wanted to learn from him. Different relationship altogether. And we had a blast. That's incredible. That's that's really really. <laughs> so you must be you must be have been a huge movie fan. I mean, to have seen all those yeah. things and to internalize. That's, that's how like I, that. I got I got into show business. Every father does something with their kids on Saturdays, whether it's go to the trail, they go fishing, they go hunting, hiking, biking, whatever. My father was a movie guy. So I started, I was about five and a half years old, and every Saturday we would go to the movies together. And when I say we would go to the movies, we lived in New Jersey about an hour from Manhattan. We would drive in. We'd leave 9.30 in the morning. By, by 11 o'clock, we're at this place called Town Hall. It was right at, excuse me, 43rd and Broadway. We would see a short, be it Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy, whatever it was, a 20-minute short. We'd see a cartoon, and then you'd see a feature of some kind. And then you'd see a, a chapter of a serial. Like, let's say they were playing Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe with Buster Crab. This week, they're showing chapter one. Next week is chapter two. The next week is chapter three. You got to keep coming every week to see the whole thing. I was going. We got done with that. We'd walk to 42nd Street and see a double feature. I saw every kung fu piece of crap that was made between 73 and 79. Everything between the kung fu pictures, the horror pictures, everything that came out, I saw. My favorite is Zombie. Made 1980, came out. I saw it in the theaters. I was 12 years old, you know. After that, we would go to dinner, and then other guys would join us, and then we'd go to this film club right outside the Link, right inside the Lincoln Tunnel in New York. After going a couple of years, one of the guys from the film club said, hey, I'm, I'm producing a commercial. You're very outgoing. You're very photogenic. I think you'd be great if you want to do it. It's three days in Miami Beach. It's for Yoohoo Chocolate Drink with Yogi Berra. I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan. I've been since I was a kid. Luke Gehrig, you know, and, and really I like Mantle more than Maris, but whatever. But, you know, and, but Thurman Munson was my guy because I get to watch him on television. And I'm like, this is Yogi. Okay, let's go. My dad's like, sure, why not? And that's that's how I got into the business. That's pretty cool. Yeah, growing up, it, movies was all I did. I mean, even through high school, college, there wasn't a time where the movie didn't come out on Friday. I hadn't seen it two times on Saturday. I l loved going to the movies. My claim to fame is I saw Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives, in the theater. <laughs> okay. Well, in, in that, so, if you're, so if let's you're see. familiar with it. <laughs> Michael Paré is one of my good friends. Okay. Well, you tell I'm him. In, I saw I'm, it I'm, in the theater. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I love Eddie and the Cruisers and Streets of Fire. There's no question. Monster fan. So let's see. I saw Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton in the theater. And I was in the theater for about eight seconds. That, that was, yeah, long eight seconds. <laughs> yeah. And because I was near Philly, they, they had there was another film that had come out that was a smash hit with nobody. It was called The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh with, with um, Julia Serving, Dr. J., Nice. <laughs> and and Meadowlark Lemon and Stockard Channing, Branscombe Richmond, who was in, uh, oh, God, the show with um, Lorenzo Lamas. I can't ever think of the title of the damn show. Falcon's what Crest? He was, on the, he was on the motorcycle. Oh, a different one. Okay. <laughs> so it was in the theaters for about eight seconds. So you're like me. Whatever came out, you went to see. Went to see. No no yeah. holds. No holds barred. <laughs> nothing, was, nothing was good or bad enough. You and Richard Pryor had amazing chemistry in that movie. But, well, you know, a second, but before I want to hear all about that, too, because I'm sure you have stories. But do you think that movie could be made today? I was watching the preview 
<laughs> you know, I've seen, I remember seeing that movie a million times, okay? So I felt like I knew you, like, when I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to Scott Schwartz. I've seen <laughs> but like, Okay, so I, I, I've been asked the question before, and I, I kind of just say, listen, what is the film itself? It's a movie about a kid who really just wants his father to love him. So it's a relationship movie. The, the key to the game is Richard because the kid thinks if he buys a black man from a father who's not in big fan of black people, he's going to piss him off, you know, whatever. But it ends up the relationships work. And at the end of the film, you get the payoff, the kid and the father, I love you and all that. Richard is just the cog in it. Listen, he got paid, what is it, $3,000? Then he gets paid $10,000 at the end or whatever it is when Ned Beatty comes to see him and all that stuff. It's not a slavery movie. They weren't out picking cotton in the field. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Oh, no, I don't think that at all. Yeah, no, It's a no, friendship I... movie. Well, no, but people have started to pull it apart. And I'm like, you're not seeing what this is, really. It's one guy from a part of America as a, as a black man who's playing with a white kid who has no idea how what a friend is, how to make things work. And there, there's no nasty language. There's no racist stuff. None of that. It's it's people coming together, as Richard and I did. So, I mean, that, again, I think that the fact that we had a good rapport and a good relationship helped the movie in what it is. Can they make it today? Who are you going to have in it? You know, that they've got to have a track record. It can't just be some new somebody because they'll tear it to shreds. You know, you're going to put Kevin Hart in it. You put Kevin Hart in everything, you know. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Griffin, the undercover brother, he would be great. Dave Chappelle would be hysterical. Yeah, the, the chemistry and everything. I mean, every, that all worked. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, a, it's a wonderful story. the thing that yeah. they end up doing in the <laughs> oh, Klansman yeah. ends up in the, in the moose, the chocolate moose bowl, you know. It's a comedy. It's not real life. You know, oh, I know. Happened? I just, I just, I was watching the one scene there, but where he's like, uh, "I want to buy him." <laughs> oh, of course. Like, yeah, that. The black man. I want to buy the yeah, black man. I want to buy the black man. And um, yeah, I was just like, "Oh wow, they would that would just be destroyed today." The um, but your relationship, as as I understand it, went beyond the film or after the film too. Yeah, you had a, a very long. We were friends and we were friends until he passed. I mean, we spoke even when, you know, right after we did the film, he was going to London to shoot Superman three. And, uh, you know, I can't call London back then, you know, from New Jersey, whatever. That'd be expensive. Yeah. (laughs) But he sent me a telegram. He sent me a Western Union telegram and it said, Scott, miss you. Hope you're having a great summer. Talk to you soon. Love, Richard. P.S. Lay him down and smack him, yak him <laughs> from airplane. Sure, sure. And uh, when he got home, we spoke right about the time my my senior year of high school. I didn't speak to him. He had moved, closed up his production company, sold the house in Maui. I had all his phone numbers. And I came out to LA and it took me like three months. And then I reconnected with him. And we were friends from that day until the day he passed. There, There was nobody nobody like this guy nobody we would i'd he'd call me up what are you doing nothing come on over and we'd sit and watch movies and bs and whatever you know so he knew all the things that i loved and i knew all the things that he loved that's friends that's what you learn about friends he called me up one day it was on a like a tuesday or wednesday 10 30 in the morning what are you doing nothing i'll come on over so I go over, I get there. He goes, okay, let's go. I didn't even go in the house. Where are we going? Uh, don't worry about it. Come on, let's go. So we jump in the white Rolls Royce. 
And I got it. I always say that. I said we jumped in a white, and it's hysterical because it's Richard driving me on, in the white Rolls Royce. We go down to Paramount Studios, and you know, you get to any guard gate. Uh, who are you? Who are you here to see? We need to call, whatever. We get to the guard gate. The guy looks down. Oh, Mister Pryor, how are you, sir? You go right ahead. You have a good day. So, you know, we go in and we pull up to a one of the studio buildings, the sound stages, and the sign on the door says "Coming to America." Not, it's not made. It's not in the theaters. The movie's being made. I don't know what this is. Rich's like, ah, we're going to see some of my friends I want you to meet. Okay, fine. We walked in. Ten feet in front of me is James Earl Jones. Nice. I almost lost it. I'm like, that's Darth Vader. Yeah. Because I was a Star Wars Darth Vader fanatic. Okay. Richard knew I loved good times. There's John Amos. The best. You know? And I'm still friends with him. I'm friends with John to this day. I still talk to him. You know, and then meeting Eddie and meeting Arsenio. And here we go. This was Richard. This is what he wanted. He wanted me to meet his friends. You know, that it's is one really thing cool. When yeah, it's one thing when Bob, you know, the carpenter says, hey, this is my buddy, whatever. Nobody cares. When Richard's, when Richard Pryor is bringing you to a set and saying, this is my boy, that's different. And that, I mean, that was Richard. He opened up doors, never ending doors, you know, and, and just, yeah, he said to me several times, you're the white son I never had. Thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's nice that you were blessed with such a friendship. You know, I was just kind of looking and I realized he he died 15 years ago. And I was just like, it's been 15 years? My God. December 10th, 05. Oh, wow. It's just like. It's yeah. Like... He died. He, he passed on the same day, December 10th, that the toy opened in the movie theaters. Oh, wow. So every yeah. December 10th, I go here. Happy and sad. I go here. Happy sad. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a lot more happy. Uh, it sounds oh. like, yeah, it, it sounds like that was that was a, a great first movie. <laughs> you had such amazing, such amazing experience. Well, wow. I had teachers. I wanted to learn. I, you know, I mean, I was, my agent said to me, you know, we know you're smart. We know all that. My dad said the same thing. We know you're smart. But realistically, here, you're a dummy. You know nothing. You don't know anything about movie making. Keep your mouth shut. Open your eyes, keep, you know, keep your eyes open and your ears open and learn everything you can. Yeah, we had some crazy teachers on that first movie. That was, uh, (laughs) I didn't didn't keep my mouth shut, but that's because I was asking questions, you know, and I wanted to, to know things and my background knowing Hollywood and movies and theater. My, one of my favorite movies growing up to this day is Yankee Doodle Dandy with James Cagney. He's playing George M. Cohan. Gleason is from the Brooklyn and the Bronx in New York. And I'm going, you know what? I got to ask him, you know, he was there at that time. Would he, you know, whatever. So I said to him, I said, pop, I, I would call him dad, pop, whatever. Just didn't call him Jackie. That was a respect thing. You couldn't call him Jackie, but I call him dad and pop. That was okay. And I said, did you ever get a chance to meet George M. Cohan? He goes, Georgie, of course we played pool. We did this. We did that. I'm going, Oh my God. So that was a part of it, but it was talking to Richard playing video games with him at night you know, in the hotel and just asking questions and wanting to learn and being informed and taking it all in. You know, I turned 14 while we were shooting, so it's not like I was seven and I don't remember any of it. I remember all of it. That's great. That is so great. So your other classic movie, The uh, Christmas Story, (laughs) you did these back to back. You did The Toy, A Christmas Story, and Kidco, like right back to back. Actually, I did The Toy, then I did Kid Co, but it didn't come out for a little while. And okay, then I did okay. Christmas Story. So Christmas Story is the third one. Got it, got it, got it. But they weren't released in that order, right? The um, No, the, okay. the toy I did the be- I, I did at the beginning, middle of 82, and it was already out that 
Christmas because no special effects, not a really hard movie to edit. So they got it out. We, we finished in July and it came out in December. Kidco, I started in October. We got done. We finished shooting December 10th on a Friday, the same day the toy opened up in the theaters. Christmas story. I started uh, the end of January. Boom. That was, that was a, <laughs> that was a good run. The a Christmas story seems to be, people remember them all, but the Christmas story one seems a heavy when I see stories about you and stuff like that. There's a lot of nostalgia around the Christmas story, a lot of events around the Christmas story. Um, it's it? part, it's become part of Americana. You know, you've got a film with no big stars, no special effects from a studio that didn't even want to make it. They didn't even want to release it. It had, it had the small little run that it goes on video and cable and it gets this following you know and in 96 turner buys it as part of the mgm package that he bought for tbs and tnt they start the marathon and it takes on a whole nother light of its own a whole nother life of its own there's been no movie to come out and 20 years later they start making merchandise (laughs) it doesn't happen that's amazing so uh your big scene where you get your (laughs) the triple dog dare to stick your tongue to the frozen pole how long did mm-hmm. you have to how long did you have to stay there with your tongue the, stuck to this pole? the first time we <laughs> shot it was 12 and a half hours and the second time we shot it was 11 and a half hours oh my God. they had they had underdeveloped the film so we had to go back and shoot it the second time so was that really your tongue or was that a stunt tongue what was, no, what was no, going on really my tongue plastic it was a a, a there's a real pole, then a piece of plastic they put over it with a hole in it about the size of your pinky nail with a tube that went into the snow with a little motor. So it sort of acted like a small vacuum cleaner. That's really the image to give everybody just so it was a – that was Got it. it. No pain involved. You know, they're not breaking child labor laws, none of that stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> but it does work. I mean, you know, if you go and you stick your tongue to anything frozen that's metal, you're stuck. Kids have done it. They did it back then. They used to do it to the railroad tracks in the Midwest, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, and it would work. And then they were stuck and people were panicking and all this, you know, whatever. So I tell people, listen, if you really want to try it, just throw a spoon in your freezer for 10 minutes and take it out. Make sure you have hot water handy. Put your tongue on the spoon. You are stuck. Pour the hot water. It'll come off. If you want to uh, experience the joy of having your tongue... Crazy glued to something. Two years ago, I want to say, it's got to be almost two two holiday seasons ago now in, in uh, 18. I was in uh, Illinois. And a kid comes up and he's, you know, 12, 13, somewhere in there, you know. And with his family, you know, they want an autograph and whatever. And he says, you know, hey, there was a, a kid a couple weeks ago that did it, you know, in, in uh, western part of Illinois. I said, oh, yeah, they called me. You know, I told them the kid's a schmuck. You know, it's a movie. Don't be doing that stuff. He goes, that was me. <laughs> so he couldn't wait to meet me and it was great because i was doing q a's at a movie theater and i used him as a human prop the whole day i said no you can't leave i gotta use you come on that's funny i read that vh1 named you the 85th greatest kid star of, of all time <laughs> how can we get we need to get you up to at least that 60, and that two dollars <laughs> gets me a cup of coffee you know or three dollars gets me a cup of coffee it was funny because they had called they, they called all of us really or most everybody that was on the list and they wanted you to name who you thought, or not really name who you thought, but talk about other child stars. I talked about Alfonso Ribeiro from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Silver Spoons. But he had done the tap dance kid before that, you know, and he had done the Pepsi commercial with Michael Jackson and all that. He could sing, act, dance, comedy. He was, in my 
view the most well-rounded of all of the child stars of the 80s. There was no question, because he could do anything. I talked about Macaulay Culkin. You know, I talked about Gary Coleman. Gary and I were friends. I've never actually met, you know, Macaulay somehow. Somehow in this crazy world, I haven't met him yet. But it's like, okay. But, I mean, there were some really, really great young performers during that time. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, you always hear, like, kid kid actors having issues. You seem to be extremely perfect. (laughs) You and I spoke beforehand. You know where I come from. My uncle was in your area, Alan Schwartz, the singing window washer in a comic to anybody who listens to that. You might know my uncle Alan. I I came from a lower middle class family. My dad was a window cleaner. My mom worked. uh, She managed a 7-Eleven growing up. And, you know, then she worked for AT&T and whatever. A lot of things have to do with my friends that were back home in Jersey. They kept me pretty grounded. And uh, life philosophy came from Richard. He and I were at his house one day. I was, this was like 88, 89. So I'm like 20, 21. Mm-hmm. And I said to him one one day, I said, Richard, I have a question. You don't have an ego. You're friendly to people. You're kind to people. He says, well, how much is, does that pay? And I said, well, it's not a thing about money. It's a mindset. He goes, no, no, I know what it is. But if it's not going to help me with my family, my home, putting food on the table, it's a waste of time. I'm not more important really than anybody else. He goes, we all eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, get dressed the same way. I put my pants on the same way. So when you hear philosophy like that from that kind of person, you get molded into something that probably would not have been if I wasn't fortunate enough to have him as my teacher. Yo, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, having a good mentor is always, always key. I- I'm, thir- I'm 13, 14 years old, and he's telling me, listen, you're going to always have my phone number. You're going to think about drugs or booze or this – just call me first. I can tell you what everything does. You don't have to think, well, how's this going to make me feel? or how? Don't do it. Just call me. So literally, that's my teacher. And the times that I called him, God bless him, rest his soul. I love him to death. The man never said to me, hey, man, I'm busy right now. I just can't. I don't have time to talk to you. That just never happened. I was in good hands. That is, that is great that he took care of you. Mm-hmm. You were part of a charity, right? Or you were a minor consideration, right? Yeah, minor consideration for child labor laws. It's a 501c3, a minorconsideration.org. It helps anybody in any type of show business, actor, singer, dancer, musician, whatever it is. It's for child labor laws. You know, they, they try and change the laws in and around the country. You know, there are things that people think, oh, they're for, you know, oh, children this or children that. And that's just not the way it is. Only in L.A. uh, or in California, Georgia, New York, you know, New Jersey, do they have the Coogan Law, which is a certain amount of money that goes into an account for the kid. So when he's 18, there's money there. But it's a small percentage. And how many hours a day a kid can work? Like all three films I did were outside of L.A. They're, you know, outside of any of those places. I shot... Kidco in Tucson, Arizona, shot Christmas Story in Cleveland, Ohio, in Canada, shot the toy in Louisiana. They didn't have nothing for labor laws back then. I worked overtime all the time. You know, you can't do that in, in California. You can't work a kid overtime. He works his eight hours, you know, three hours of school, one hour for, for lunch, four hours of work. Go home. That's it. That's what they got to do. You had, Richard. you had Richard. You had Richard. Be- I had Richard. Than, I mean, you're better I than Laws. You had Richard. <laughs> I'm working 10, 12-hour days on, on the toy. No problem. Didn't care. Having the time of my life. Uh, Christmas story. I worked 10, 11-hour days. You know, a couple days, talking to the flagpole. Those are both overtime days. And on Kidco, practically the whole eight weeks we shot, I did overtime every day. Every day. 
But that's that's a whole nother story unto itself. I do the toy and I get Kidco. And uh, the shooting schedule was until December 22nd. That was going to be right before Christmas. We're going to finish. And so we had the little meet and greet meeting, whatever, the day before we're going to start shooting at the hotel in Tucson. And I asked, I, I said to the director and the producer, I said, hey, can I talk to you guys for a minute before we break up? Sure, no problem. So everybody else left. So it's, you know, Frankie Blondes and David Niven Jr., who had 70 years of experience between them. Ron Maxwell, the director, who had done all kinds of things, The Night's the Light, went out in Georgia and a bunch of other films. He went out to do Gettysburg, incredible director. And the first AD, me and my dad. And I said, listen, gang, guys, we got to shoot this movie. We got to get it done fast. I got to be out of here December 10th. The toys in the theaters, I got promotion to do and PR and all that. They threw me out of the room immediately. Go. They literally pointed. Across the hall was a, a – they had a little arcade in, in the hotel, the game room. They kept my dad there. I went over. And they're like, listen, if we're going to have a problem with your kid, we can we can let you guys go home now. We'll get somebody else to do it. But movies don't get made faster. They get made slower. That's just how this is. And my father, you know, knew me. And he's like, listen, my kid just got done with four months of Pryor and Gleason and Richard Donner and Ray Star. He believes he's Godzilla. He's secretariat. Get on his back. He's going to ride you to the finish line. And they're like, oh, God, a parent is telling us how movies get made. So they call me back in the room. And, you know, sitting like at the World Series of Poker. Are they going to call my bluff or they're not going to call my bluff? They don't know. They, they call my bluff. Okay, Scotty, uh, you want to get this movie done faster. What's the first thing you want to do? 14 years old, out of my mouth came, listen, I looked at the shooting schedule. Why are we shooting at the house here and the house here? Make those days together. We're shooting at the courthouse here. We're shooting at the courthouse there. We should do. And they just looked at me because they never expected an answer. <laughs> they went, okay. They left. It was me and the first AD. My dad even went back to the room. We sat there for almost three hours till almost midnight. And it's 6.30 call time the next morning to go to work. Well, we redid the shooting schedule. I worked overtime every day. My dad went home. We had somebody else who was watching me on a set, a family friend. And how it's supposed to be is somebody from production is supposed to contact the parent or the guardian and ask permission to shoot overtime. They would they would say, uh, Scotty, we're going to work overtime. Why don't you ask, you know, your uncle or my, my uncle Ben, who really wasn't uncle, just a family friend, or call your dad or whatever you do. Okay, fine. And I'd walk into my trailer, grab a bottle of water. He'd say, what's up? No, nothing. I just wanted a bottle of water. I'd walk outside. They'd say everything. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I was my own guy. I run my own show already. Just like Kidco. And, just like, and exactly. Just like, just like Dickie and Kidco. Exactly Kid like Dickie Cessna. There's no question. I mean, we were boogieing. The, the scene in the courtroom where I have that long diatribe, that long dialogue back and forth and this whole thing, I just, I just use this as one of the examples. My call time was like 7.30 in the morning. I tell the, the transportation coordinator to pick me up at a quarter to seven, 45 minutes early. He picked me up. We go to the set. I grab my coffee. I grab my bagel. I grab the cameraman. Let's go into courtroom. So we go into courtroom and I said, listen, I just want to do pacing. I'm going to walk, just get my pacing down. Now they're going to lay tracks with a dolly for the camera and everything, you know, and he's pacing me. Okay. And we did it three or four times. Then they got the track laid down. They get the dolly in. We did it a couple times. Just me and him. Nobody else is in the room. No extras. No family at the table. Nothing. Just me and him. Now everybody comes in. We're ready to shoot. Okay, fine. And Ron Maxwell, the director, goes, okay, we got two days to shoot this scene. So let's take our time. We'll rehearse everything. We'll get it down, whatever. First thing out of my mouth, Ron, we got it. Let's just shoot it. 
<laughs> and he looked at the cam. He looks at me. And he looks at the cameraman. The cap cameraman goes, "Yeah, I think I think we'll be fine. Uh, I've got his pacing. We're all good." And Ron, it was like four or five weeks into shooting. Ron entrusted me enough that we're shooting thirty-five millimeter. We're not going to waste any film. And we went from two days of shooting. We were done an hour after lunch that day. That's pretty cool. Um, so, are there any parts that got away? Are they? They're like, oh, that could have been a Scotty Schwartz part. <laughs> Um, you're like, oh, I wish I'd got that. I, yes, but it's something that is so minute that nobody would know it and nobody would care. It was a, a, a ABC movie of the week with Richard Thomas called To Find My Son. I mean, I remember this. I'm nine years old or nine, nine and a half, whatever the hell I was. We're talking over 40 years ago and I still remember it like it was yesterday. And I went in five times and it was a kid with like autism and it was a great role. And I killed it. I mean, the audition, the, uh, I mean, I went out seven times for this damn thing. And I got down to the final two kids. It was me and another kid. The casting director told my dad, talent-wise, your son is better. Looks-wise, your son is just too damn cute. <laughs> That's what they it. said to him. I get that all the time, Scott. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was just too damn cute for that particular role. And they wanted a kid that wasn't quite as cute as I was. Okay, so I didn't get it. It took me uh, – oh, God. Now it's been two years, so let's see. 31, 32 years to actually meet Richard Thomas. And I told him the whole story. And he's – you know, I said, hello. We talked for me. He says, come sit down. I, I told him the whole story. He goes, I can't even believe that you would remember something like this. I said – and I told him. I said, I wasn't a Walton's fan. I wasn't like this diehard that was just dying to meet you. No. I love the character. It was just – I, I just fell in love with this kid, you know, and I really wanted to do it. He's like, oh, my God. Couldn't believe it. The one that got away. So you, you're still acting now, right? I, mm -hmm. I saw something you're doing called The Quarantine Bunch. Yeah, we did that months, several months ago, you know, the beginning of this whole lockup nonsense and whatever. And so it's myself and a bunch of other ex-child stars, you know, old ex-child uh, ex stars. That's what they are. Keith Coogan, Todd Bridges. Uh, Judy Norton, who was the voice of Judy Jetson, Melissa Disney, who was a child actress, but she does the voiceover stuff for the Academy Award now. She's done the Emmy, stuff like that. It, it was a bunch of fun people. Jeremy Miller from Growing Pains that I'm friends with, and we all had a good time with it. We, we don't ever give up acting. It's the worst profession in the world. You could be the greatest actor since the creation of Bread, but if you walk in the room and the producer goes, you know, you're five foot two. I'm really looking for somebody five foot six. You're done. I'm really looking for somebody with like whitish, blondish hair, and I have sandy, dark hair. You know, you're done. It has nothing to do. It has ten percent to do with talent, eighty percent to do with luck, and ten percent to do with looks. That's really what it is. Right place, right time. Everything has to just come together. So you got anything coming up? I'm working on a, a TV pilot with uh, Todd Bridges. Oh, that's fine. From different strokes, yeah. Sure, sure. That's yeah. cool. And I don't, I don't, I don't let the cat out of the bag. What it's about, none of that kind of stuff. But it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun show. Old school, not all PC. It's two guys from two different parts of the world coming together, kind of like me and Richard, but not exactly in the same vein. It's nothing like the toy, none of that. But it's quite fun and creative. And so far, you know, everybody that knows about the project just wants in. That's exciting. So, All right. Well, I'm excited for you. I look forward to seeing that. That's, yeah, that's I mean, going to be can't, awesome. Can't, can't do it at this moment because, you know, you can't do almost nothing. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, one but day. But sometime soon, you know. So, 
sometime soon that the world will clear up and you and Todd Bridges will entertain the world once again. Once oh, again. yeah. Listen, I've known him over 30 years. You know, the day that, that Gary passed, I called him. And the day that Dana passed, he called me. You know, we're brothers from another mother, as they say. It's great it's, that you've maintained you maintain all these relationships throughout your entire life. It's it's pretty cool. You know, listen, there are things that open doors. Doing the toy opened a lot of doors. Christmas story didn't open up doors for fifteen years, but whatever. But it comes down to the kind of person you are. If you're a jackass, you're in and out in five minutes. If you're a decent human being, you're a good person, you treat people with respect. I don't care what race, color, creed you are, don't make no difference. But I mean it's like you know, Good friends, Shaquille O'Neal, Barry Bonds, Eddie Griffin, a bunch of other NBA guys and guys that played baseball, you know, whatever. It's the kind of person you are, you know, that you're not just going to get into the circle if you're a schmuck. And you, sir, are no schmuck. You are a good guy. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you spending time, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. no problem. No, this has been fun, man. It's, you know, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. But so it's uh, we'll have to do it again sometime after your big show comes out with Todd, and we'll we'll do a, a part two <laughs> if you're not yeah, too, no. if you're not too yeah. famous for me. <laughs> no, no, no. I got you know I got a book that'll be out. It, was, it should have been out this year, but because of COVID, they pushed it all back to next year. So next September it'll be out. Well, how can people keep up with you? Where do you uh, post on social? Scott stuff? Schwartz actor on Facebook. Okay. The Scott Schwartz actor. Awesome. So everyone check that out. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I can't, yeah, it's been great. This is some great stories. I loved it. Loved it. Okay. Oh, sorry about that. My tongue was stuck to the microphone. Hey! Anyway, how awesome was that? That was Scott Schwartz. So fun hearing stories from the toy and a Christmas story in Kidco. Such a great guy. It was a lot of fun talking to him. Check him out on Facebook. Look for his project with Todd Bridges. And also keep an eye out for his book. I would like to also triple dog dare you to subscribe to the Jeff Tawaskin Show. Sign up for our mailing list. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Spread the Christmas cheer and tell all your friends about the Jeff Tawaskin Show. Also, tell them that, hey, they should download the hashtag Roundup app. That's right. At hashtag Roundup on Twitter. Tell them, hey, if you play one of these hashtag games, you could end up on the Jeff Dwoskin show. And this show is no exception. That's right. We went deep. We found a great hashtag. Hashtag new endings to Christmas movies. Let's stay with the Christmas movie theme and go deep into these amazing new endings. To Christmas movies from Talkie Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. As always, these tweeters will be retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show. Their tweets will also be in the show notes. Retweet them, show them some love, and you play along, and one day you'll be on the Jeff Dwoskin Show. All right, here we go. Hashtag new endings to Christmas movies. Ralphie shoots everyone else's eyes out. I think Scotch Schwartz is going to like that. The wet bandits decide to work for Trump. Of course, after bumping into him at the hotel. Akeem gets recruited by McDonald's. Ah, McDonald's is always losing their best people to McDonald's. Kevin McAllister adopts the underworld nickname Snakes and leads the wet bandits on a crime spree, the likes of which has never been seen before. The Grinch stays home, starts a Twitter account. Ralphie's brother is the inventor of Life Alert. I've fallen and I can't get up. Jingle all the way, Arnie takes out Sinbad, commando style. Clark Griswold gets sentenced to the electric chair for electrocuting Christmas carolers with his excessive Christmas lights. The Grinch's heart grew three sizes. The Grinch is immediately rushed into open heart surgery. 
everything that happened on 34th Street was a scam. The actual miracle took place on 35th Street. And finally, new endings to Christmas movies. Clark Griswold passes on the bonus and ends up taking the Jelly of the Month membership club and lives happily ever after. And those are the hashtag new endings to Christmas movies brought to you by hashtag Roundup Talkie Tags and all those fabulous tweeters. And you know what? We're here at the end of episode 33. I can't believe it. Another episode has come and gone. I hope you enjoy your holidays. I hope you have an amazing new year, though I think we'll see you one more time before then. Until then, have a great one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you've heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.